Hey, good morning. My name is Brian, and uh, good job talking to the video. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't know if you would talk to the screen or not, and you did, so well done. And so we are, we're starting a five-week series where we're talking about one big word. Uh, that's such an important word, and uh, I thought about this word when I was in New Mexico this summer with my son Levi, my wife Beth, and we were staying at my friend Scott and Lisa's house, and they have a little dog named Daisy. And we have a picture of Daisy up here because Daisy likes to look out the window. And one day she was looking out the window, but she wasn't barking like she normally does if she looks out the window because she looks out the window when she sees stuff. But this time she was really quiet because she saw something. We can blow up a little bit bigger what she was looking at. It's a big old bobcat. And Daisy was real quiet <laughs> because she knew that bobcat wanted her for dessert. And uh, Scott and Lisa were telling us that they have told their kids, Daisy needs to stay inside because we have bobcats and they had seen mountain lion and they had seen a bear in their neighborhood. They're right on the side of a, a mountain in Albuquerque. And they said, if we let Daisy outside too much, Daisy's not going to be around very long uh, because there's some predators. And it had me thinking about why did Daisy have this nice home protected from all these dangerous things? Well, there's lots of reasons, but there's really one word. Grace. She had not paid for it. She had not done anything to deserve it. They brought her to their home and they took care of her. And that's grace, giving her something that she did not deserve. That word grace shows up 120 times in the New Testament. And without, without that word, we don't really have Christianity. We, we can't really have what we're doing today without this idea of, gra of grace because we deserve punishment or judgment, but what we get is grace. The Hebrew word for grace is sometimes translated loving kindness. You'll, you'll see that in the Psalms talking about God's loving kindness or his grace. And so there's lots of good definitions for this word grace, and there's one that I want to give you that we're going to work with for, for the next five weeks and hopefully beyond. But it's just really simple. I think that you can wrap your mind around it. It's this. Grace is undeserved kindness. Okay, so if you go home today and somebody asks you what you learned, you're going to tell them that grace is undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Uh, you don't deserve it, but God gives it to you anyway, and you can give it to other people even when they don't deserve it. So each week we're going to look at something that we believe grace is bigger than. If we're, if we're not careful... We'll assume these other things are bigger than grace, but we want to we study how grace is bigger than disagreements, greater than mistakes, greater than hurts, greater than our circumstances, and greater than our complaints. Today we're going to look at that one. Grace is greater than our disagreements. Okay, when you look at this picture up here, do you see a six or a nine? Anybody? Uh, Okay, so all the people who think it's a six will go on this side, and the people who think it's a nine go on this side, and then we'll have a battle royale right in the middle. And it's kind of what our culture does, right? How do you see this with immigration? How do you see this with the governor's race? How do you see this with local politics? How do you see this between a conflict at work or school or on your sports team or, or with your brother or sister? One person sees a six, one person sees a nine, and... We don't have the grace to say, well, you might see it a little bit differently than I do. Instead, we disagree. So in this world in which we live where there's so much combativeness and pick an issue, right? There will be a new issue tomorrow in the newspaper. 
and we will all be up in arms, frustrated and angry at each other. But I believe this truth, that if God is God, if Jesus is Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in the lives of believers, then grace is bigger than our disagreements. It has to be, or else what have we become? And so, uh, kids, I'm glad that you're in here with us. We have uh, young ones with us today, and we love that we do that um, on the last Sunday of each month. And there's some uh, sermon page and some stuff in the bulletin that can help. And we uh, have stuff for our, our middle school and high school students as well to be following along and for adults to follow along as well. That may help you. Uh, if you have your Bible, then please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to reference uh, this verse a number of times because it's so important. While you're turning there, uh, I want you to look at another image that I have on the screen. It's kind of what I'm calling just the cycle of grace. It's a circle up there. And there's several parts of grace that if you, if you don't get it, you don't get the whole part of grace. And so think about grace being first. There has to be understanding. Hopefully this morning you're going to leave with more understanding of what grace is. But then there is the accepting when someone says, I forgive you. Will you receive that or not? And if you don't receive it, then you don't really understand grace. But that's not the end of it. And we're going to hammer this home big time for the next five weeks. Because the next part is giving grace. Because if you don't give grace, I've got to question whether you really understand it or not. And whether you really received it or not. Because the Bible talks about all three of these, and the Bible is even going to point us towards once you give grace, then you understand it better. You have a greater understanding as you give it. And once you understand it better, you're more quickly to receive it and accept it. And when you accept it, you're more apt to give it. And when you give it, you are more apt to understand it. You see where this is going? And so we don't ever want to break that cycle of growing in God's grace. It's what he wants to do for us. If I have a friend named Jim who's telling me this story, it was hard to believe, but it's true. Jim has a friend who was really angry at a family member. I mean, really angry. The family member had not, you know, like tried to run over him with a truck or something. It was just like some argument they had. But he was really upset and really angry. And Jim told him, he's like, he's like dude, you've got to have, show some grace for your family member here. You've got to quit being so angry. You've got to turn that over to God and let it go. And you know what his friend said? His friend said, uh-uh, because what I learned was grace is, is God's riches at Christ's expense, that, that God is all about grace and forgiveness, and I don't have to do that. That's God's job. Ooh. I'm thinking he's kind of broken down in that cycle somewhere, right? He's probably not someone who's understanding, receiving, or giving. But Acts 4.33 and the rest of the Bible say something very different. I just want to read this one quick little verse to you. But Acts 4 is describing the early church. The church has just been born, and uh, they're figuring out what does it mean to be a Christian. And it says they shared their possessions, and they cared for each other's needs, and they taught and preached about God's work in their lives. And then it says this, And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. So that means... Grace is something that it gets in us and works its way out. That God's grace does something in us. It's not just a concept out there. It actually changes our lives if we understand grace. And God's grace in our lives is most revealed in the life of Jesus, his death on the cross. And the moment we begin to think my disagreement 
is too big for grace, then, then that's you saying, my disagreement is too big for what Jesus did on the cross. And that's a dangerous thing to say. In, in the courtroom, if you went there, there are some petty crimes and some grand crimes, like you know, petty theft and grand larceny. So one of them would be, I went to Wendy's and I stole a cheeseburger and I ran out real fast. Petty, small, little, slap on the wrist kind of stuff. But grand larceny would be, I went to Wendy's and I stole $100,000. And there would be different, you know, in, if you went to the court to a judge because of both crimes, he would tell you or she would tell you both things are a crime, but one gets bigger punishment than the other. And one of the things where we get in trouble as Christians is we begin to think, well, some disagreements are little and some are really big and some are really little and they don't really matter that much. Like, you know, a disagreement about where we ate lunch last week. You know, was it Wendy's or McDonald's? Like, I think it was Wendy's. No, I think it was McDonald's. And hopefully your family can work through those kind of disagreements. And you think, well, that's a petty argument. That's a little thing. We can get past that. But then we get to these really big issues of like, NFL and the National Anthem. Well, that's grand, and we can't work past that one because grace isn't big enough for that one. It's too grand of an argument. And I think we're in a dangerous place when we begin to say, no, some disagreements are so big, God's grace doesn't cover. Like, I can't can't be that person's brother or sister in Christ anymore. I can't worship with them. I can't even care for their soul if they're an unbeliever. And that's where I believe that God's grace has to come in and say, you may still think it's a huge, big disagreement, and you may never agree on on whatever issue it might be. But if we follow Jesus, then God's grace says, I still care for that person's soul. I still love them, even though we disagree about this. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12. This is such an important couple of verses here. Verse 14 and verse 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Did you hear hear that? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. What would it look like to miss the grace of God? Well, to miss the grace of God would not be to understand it. It certainly would not be to receive it. There are many people who've never received God's grace. They're living in their shame and their guilt or they've walked away from God and they're doing their own thing and that's how they're gonna die if they continue to miss the grace of God. And yet God wants to change their lives. He doesn't want them to miss the grace and God's command to you is see to it that nobody misses it. You do everything you can to not let anybody miss the grace of God because God wants to do something incredible in their life to show them his grace that will help them accept it and know it and then also to give it to others. That, that phrase, make every effort to live at peace with one another, um, it, it means like to chase it. You know, it's, it's like you're chasing like a, um, like if you watch the, the animal channel when like the tiger is chasing its meal, it's going all out. It's running after it. And so that's, that's this idea that we chase peace with people. We want to be at peace with people. It reminds me of Ephesians 4.3 that says, make every effort, same word, chase it, the keeping of unity. Go after unity. Keep chasing it. Don't give up on it. 
Now, it doesn't mean that everybody will be at peace with you. Some people are still going to dislike you. Some people may even hate you. You know, we have missionaries right now who are on the field, and there have been people who have tried to cause harm or even kill their family. And you know what those missionaries have told us? The first things they say to us is, pray for those people who are persecuting us. Pray for those people who, who want to bring harm to us. You know, and our first reaction is like, man, we want to get them. And their first reaction is, like, still pray for them. And we want justice and we want there to be safety here. But pray for them too because we don't want them to miss God's grace. And if people like that can pray for and say, I don't want the person trying to persecute me to miss God's grace, and we have to do that as well. But even when someone doesn't show peace towards us, we just do our best. We can't make peace between me and one other person, right? All I can do is my best to try to make peace with someone, and that's what God is telling us to do. Try to make peace with people, even if they disagree with you. Try to make peace with them. Even if they, if they don't ever make peace with you, you keep trying with them. And there may be people out there who are dangerous and harmful for you to be around relationally, and maybe making peace with them is actually stepping away from them a little bit. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that sometimes. That would be wise at times. But you do whatever you can to make peace with people. So we have to talk about something here. And I think you guys know what it is. Because when we're talking about disagreements and with the election season upon us, we just got to talk about it for a minute, right? Because the commercials are already out there, right? Have you already seen the commercials and heard them? Have you already turned off your TV really fast when they came on and they were annoying you? They're like, ah, one more commercial coming on. And we're slinging mud. Well, I need to remind you that politics, poly, P-O-L-I, means many, and ticks means blood-sucking leeches. So that's, <laughs> put the word together. I'm just kidding. We want to love and be at peace with politicians, too. That's an old joke, and it always works. John Gibson sang in a song, What have you done to the world, politician? You separate brother from brother like a magician. Now they hate each other because they're talking about politics. Samuel Whitfield wrote about a previous election, but I think it's true of every election. He wrote this. Um, he wrote that the biggest thing at stake in the, this election cycle is the church's prophetic voice to the culture. Because with every election, with everything that can be divisive, it's possible for the church to lose our voice with people. And all too often, uh, even just recently, uh, I talked to a friend, and one of his best friends is alienated from church and alienated from God. And one of the things that troubles him so much is he always feel, feels like Christians are beating up on him. The Christians in his little circle are beating up on him, and they're always posting mean things about him on social media, and he's always feeling targeted by Christians who have let a partisan political idea become more important than him not missing the grace of God. So we have to talk about this just for a moment. And I just real quickly want to mention four things that I taught about uh, several years ago here. And I'm going to do some more teaching to unpack these more uh, on social media this week because I think that's a good place to try to redeem it a little bit. But I just want to mention four things really fast. And here they are. Uh, here's some rules for engagement. 
for the church, okay? So this is us, even during, especially during election season. The first is quit idolizing and demonizing people. They're just people. None of them are angels. None of them are actual demons, okay? Even though I've already seen commercials on both sides of the governor election saying, this candidate kicks bunny rabbits, but this one will give you chocolate pie, right? <laughs> both sides already, it's out there, one or the other. And what are they doing? One is a demon, one is an idol. Now, I know the marketing companies are paid to do that and all that stuff. Don't take the bait, okay? You can, you can greatly prefer one over the other. That's fine. That's great. But don't take that step of one is of God and beautiful and will make all things right. And one is the worst thing ever that's going to bring us to doom. That's the way we live a lot of times with politics. Don't do it. Number two, be informed but not consumed. Yeah, read. Especially read people with different ideas than you. Especially read those. Be informed but don't be consumed. And isn't it easy? It's amazing how quickly I can become consumed about something. I read something, it makes me mad, so I start doing research, and I start talking to people, and I kind of start building this, all my little weaponry and arguments, and I can become totally consumed. And God wants us to be consumed with his kingdom. And so I want to be consumed with God's kingdom, and I want to be informed about things that are happening around me that matter to people. But we don't want to become consumed by that. Number three, reject simple answers. When you look at how Jesus answered people who gave him kind of trick questions, he never said something just real easy to get his way out of it. When, he was, when they asked him, hey, should we pay taxes or not? He doesn't give them a simple answer. He, he actually makes both sides a little bit uncomfortable. And if you're doing that, you're probably behaving just a little bit like Jesus. Uh, that's what he would always do. The fourth thing is to check your allegiances. Tony Evans gives this great illustration about a football game. And he said, imagine a football game where the referees got together before the game, and they have like their referee rule book. So they have to know all the rules of football, okay? And instead of looking at the rule book, they found their favorite team's playbook. Now, the playbook doesn't have the rules. It just has the team's favorite plays. We like this one where we throw it really far, and the guy catches it, and this guy blocks this guy, and they run this way and this way and this way. And the referee was like, man, this is really cool. I love this playbook. This is awesome. I wish everybody had the same playbook. And the referees just loved the playbook. And then the game started. It would be mass chaos if they were trying to say, hey, we want everybody to do the playbook. No, we need the referees to do the rule book. This is our rule book. What the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, that's the rule book. God is, our, is the ruler. And so we want to be, have our allegiance towards him above anything else. Otherwise, we can get sucked into, again, a partisan political playbook can actually become our rule book, which is a really dangerous place to be. I, I read something uh, several months ago, and it's just stayed with me that this idea of when an issue comes up, we are really quick to contend. In other words, to fight for it, to post something on social media, to talk to somebody about, it should be this way, it should be this way, it should be this way. But the author of this book said, that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is to engage first. Engage before you contend. In other words, talk to actual people 
who are experiencing that issue. I mean, let's just go there. How many of us have actually talked to a refugee? Or talked to somebody working with refugees? Or talked to somebody in law enforcement trying to figure out some of the things they're up against? Or in the judicial system that's trying to you know, process asylum cases and all that? Have we actually, uh, have we actually engaged with people who are in, in those spheres before we just contend with some sharp statement and some sharp side. Because ultimately, don't we want to serve a king who is good and wonderful and faithful every single time? Not just the week before election to get your vote, but every single, I mean, perfect. There's some good politicians out there, but nobody can rival Jesus who is always faithful, is always loving, is always caring. John Weiss has this great quote, and I think we should remember it often. He says this, There's more grace in God than sin in people. I love that. Because there's lots of sin in me, and you're probably saying, yeah, there's lots of sin in me too. And yet God's grace is bigger. And for those people whom you have disagreements with, I know there's lots of sin in them, but God's grace, there's more grace in God. God can still forgive that person, and he can still forgive you, and he can forgive anyone, and we just begin to look through the pages of the Bible. I mean, there was a lot of sin in this guy named Saul, later called Paul. He was going around arresting and, and, uh, Christians and uh, took part in Stephen's murder, and yet there was more grace in God than there was sin in him. God's grace overcame that, and Paul began to understand, and then he received God's grace, and he gave out God's grace, and he lived his life trying to make sure nobody missed it. So I've been thinking about, like, if I could get people to buy into one thing with what I'm saying, what would it be? And here it is. What if we spent more time trying to help people not miss God's grace than we did with trying to win our disagreements. I mean, just like if we actually put a clock on us this week, how, how much time do we spend trying to win a disagreement? Maybe it's even a disagreement that needs to be won. I'm not saying there's some of those out there. Maybe you need to do some research on something, but what if we never spent more time doing that than we did about helping people know about God's grace? And I think that requires a couple of things. It requires talking to people, meeting people, uh, inviting people, praying for people. It also involves like, actually knowing how to share the gospel with people. And uh, one of the things that you've probably seen a couple times and you're going to see it again because we think it's so important, is just a really simple model for sharing the gospel. And if we can hit click on this, I just want to share you a, a quick way to do this. This is how we would say it. Our whole world is broken, and we see it through violence. We saw that yesterday through violence. We see it through famine and disease. But God does, did not create our world to be broken. His perfect design was perfect in the garden. It was beautiful, but it got all messed up in the garden by this thing called sin. And Adam and Eve sinned, but if they would not have, I probably would have been the person to do it. And that sin led from God's perfect design all the way over to brokenness. And this brokenness, you feel it. I don't have to argue with that. We all know it's there. But God doesn't want us to stay broke. 
And so he sent his son, Jesus, who came to earth perfect, lived a perfect life. And then he died on a cross. And when he died on that cross, that was to pay for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. And on that that third day, it showed us that he had power even over death. And we try to get away from brokenness a number of different, different ways, through maybe education or through religion or um, through moral living or through addiction. But it's like a bungee cord. It always snaps us back to that brokenness even worse than before. The only way is through Jesus. That's the only way we can uh, recover from our brokenness and be healed from our brokenness. So if we turn and believe, if we repent and are baptized, is what Acts 2.38 says, then we can come to Jesus and grow in Jesus, and then we don't even just stay right there. We go. We go right back to the broken. And when we go to the broken, we say, hey, you don't have to live in your brokenness anymore, that you can come to Jesus and come over to this perfect design. And so the question is, where are you? We've been trying to equip folks here at Highland Park to do what I just did. It really wasn't fancy. I actually messed it up a time or two. But almost anybody, in fact, anybody, could learn that little way of just saying, hey, here's, here's a little way that I can share the gospel with you. Because I don't want you to miss God's grace. I know that from Highland Park folks, these three little circles have been drawn out on napkins, on paper, um, on whiteboards, chalkboards, on a, a windshield that had that was damp, and I think Matt did a little thing on somebody's windshield as he was sharing the gospel with somebody. I mean, we, we need to know how to share the gospel with people, friends. We don't want anybody to miss the grace. It's not my job to share the gospel with all of your friends. That is every disciple's responsibility, and we all have different gifts, and I want to help anybody, and I will, but we want every believer at Highland Park to have a way to know how to share the gospel if you would like to learn this, we can send you this video. If you're in a small group, you're going to learn it by the time the week is done. But the way you really learn it then is to actually share it with somebody and say, hey, can I practice this, this with you? Or maybe a friend who's not a believer and say, can I, can I just share the hope that I have with you? I have yet to share this with somebody who is angry that I shared it with them. I know that we have that fear. We want people to know about grace. And we believe that grace is even greater than the worst disagreement in our culture, in your family, in your workplace, in your school. And I know some of you have been broken deeply by disagreements. And part of, part of who you are is a product of a lot of disagreements from your past. And I want to remind you today that God's grace is greater. His grace is greater than whatever disagreements have harmed you and have wounded you. There's a piece of pottery that I want to tell you about. It's called... Kintsugi, and it's a, a Japanese art form in which pottery is taken and formed. But the thing about Kintsugi is that it's all formed out of previously broken pieces of pottery. They take the broken pottery and then they form something that is more beautiful than what it ever used to be. And some of you feel really broken by disagreements, by pain, by your sin. And you feel really broken. And what I want to tell you is that when God's grace comes into your life, he will pick you up and form you into something more beautiful than you ever imagined. That you can know God and that he will forgive you of your sins and walk all of the days with you. 
And that doesn't mean all of the rest of your life will be perfect, but it will be good because you will be with the Father. And he will care for you even when you feel broken again. And even when you're wounded, he will be with you. And one day he will make everything right. And you will be with him in eternity. And we won't have to experience brokenness anymore. We want everyone to taste the grace of God before you even go to bed tonight. We want you to know about God's grace. And uh, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. And if we do, if you would like someone to pray for you and talk to you about grace, we'll have some folks in both of the kind of the front corners over here. And if you would like to find somebody afterwards, we'll stick around afterwards. You can come by Connecting Point and find folks there. You can write on your uh, Connect card that you want to study with someone this week. Uh, talk to somebody. We would love to talk to you more about grace. If you would, would you stand up and let me pray for us? God, we, we thank you for grace we don't deserve. We thank you for your undeserved kindness in our lives. And the moment I get worked up about a disagreement and thinking that my disagreement is bigger than your grace is the same moment I've forgotten how big the cross is, how important the cross is, how the, what you did on the cross changed all of eternity. Your grace is bigger than any disagreement we have. God, we're trying to do something here at Highland Park where we help our community and our neighborhoods and our city know that your grace is bigger than the disagreements that we have. We know that has to begin in our lives, each person's life. And so, God, would you show us your grace? Help us to know your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen.